How are we doing with an hour less sleep this morning? I have a feeling everyone else will show up in about 30 minutes wondering, whoa, they're done already? That was a short service. (laughs) Welcome to our series on, our continuing series on the prophets. This one is week four. Huge gratitude to Sammy, who came last week and spoke about Hosea. I think he did a great job speaking about that book. This morning, I want to move to another of the prophets, and I have titled this sermon, The Sheep Farmer from Tekoa. Uh, How many of you have spent time over in Tekoa? The coffee there, I hear, is fabulous. Any idea who we're going to be talking about this morning? Who is this sheep farmer? Uh, How about Amos? Let's talk about Amos this morning. Now, forewarning, I had a really hard time with with the sermon for this week. It took me, I actually had to finish the sermon on Saturday, which I never do. And the reason why, as the week was going on, I had more and more information. I could tell by Friday, I was trying to jam so much in there because these chapters, there is so much depth and wisdom. And if you have 30 minutes or, okay, I know sometimes I go longer, but if you have 30 minutes to talk about one book or one scroll that's in the Bible, you just want to pack in as much as you can because there's so much there. And there was a part of the sermon that I really, really wanted in there because I think it has a lot to say for us today, and it was really important, and it meant something to me. But as I put it to the side on Friday, I realized, all right, I have to cut that entire part of my sermon. So I cut half the sermon. Uh, It's like it'll be on my B-side, I guess, at some point. And I just, I wanted to make this as simple as possible for us, because sometimes you can make things really, really complicated, and you miss the point of what's happening or what's written down, and I didn't want to miss the point of Amos. So a lot has been cut, and I think I have 30 minutes worth of material for us this morning about exactly the the main idea of that which Amos is talking about. So I come to you this morning with a bit of sadness in my heart because I cut, as uh, Stephen King says, I cut my darlings. Uh, That's his advice to writers. Uh, Don't be afraid to kill your darlings. You have really good ideas, but you have to leave them on the cutting board. Uh, Otherwise... You'll just go on and on forever, and I know we've already lost an hour this morning. There's my intro for us today. Welcome. Greetings. Amos, a little background on the book of Amos. The prophet Amos, he prophesied during the final years of the northern kingdom of Israel. This was right before the fall of Israel, which we're talking about Israel, the northern kingdom. At this time, Israel was divided into two parts. You had the northern kingdom, known as Israel, and then the southern kingdom, known as Judah. Amos prophesied to the northern kingdom sometime before 722 BCE, because in 722 BCE, you all know what happened, right? The mighty Assyrian Empire came and conquered Israel and deported some of the people out of their land, relocated them throughout the Assyrian empire. Amos comes to the northern kingdom and he prophesies doom. Doom. You are about to be destroyed. Now Amos, he's the first prophet whose messages were collected into a scroll. You might say that Amos is where this all 
began. We have prophets who came before Amos. You have Elijah, Elijah, Moses. They didn't have scrolls. Amos would have been the first prophet who people were like, whoo, the things that he are saying, that he's saying, we have to remember them. We have to write them down, collect them, put them into a book, put them onto a scroll so that us and future generations can read these words because there's something really, really important about what it is that he is saying. So when we talk about the prophets, those who have their own book in the Old Testament, Amos would have been the first. Everyone else just copied him. Now, who are his messages directed to? As he said, the northern kingdom. Abraham Heschel, in his brilliant book, The Prophets, he said this about Amos, uh, who prophesied during the time of King Jeroboam II. So the northern kingdom at this time, also called the kingdom of Israel, it reached the summit of its material power and prosperity, expanding its territory northward and southward. Here's a map for you because I love maps. You see that kind of orange color right there in the middle of the map? This is Israel. It had expanded northward into Syria, all the way uh, down into Moab. Then you can see Judah, the other part of the larger, the full kingdom of Israel. And then up there at the top in the beige or the brown, you have the mighty Assyrian Empire. At the time in which Amos is speaking, the time of Jeroboam II, Assyria was a bit in decline. This is the reason why Israel was able to expand its territory. Assyria, it wasn't as powerful as it was before, but it was about to become extremely powerful again. This is what Amos is speaking about. Yeah, I, I see how proud you all are here in the northern kingdom. Your territory has expanded there's money, plenty of money in your bank account. People aren't lacking in things. Prosperity is at an all-time high. The stock market would have been soaring. We're talking the market on this one. I mean, we have a 10-year run. Things are going extremely, extremely well for all those living in Israel. But then Amos comes with another message. Heschel, uh, he says this as well. When Amos appeared, there was pride, plenty, splendor in the land, elegance in the cities, and might in the palaces. Here's how Amos describes it. Amos chapter 6, 13. You who rejoice in the conquest of Lodabar and say, did we not take Karnim by our own strength? Look at us. Look how strong we are. We conquered all this territory. Look how big and mighty we are. Uh, here's another way to describe life in Israel at the time. You lie on beds adorned with ivory and lounge on your couches. You dine on choice lambs and fattened calves. You strum away on your harps like David and improvise on musical instruments. You drink wine by the bowlful. Some of you know exactly what Amos is talking about and you use the finest lotions. This is life in the northern kingdom. I think I have one more. Uh, no, I don't have another. Uh, what he's talking about is a life of luxury, a life of plenty, uh, lacking nothing, self-serving living. It's all about us. It's all about me. How much can I accumulate? How much can I acquire? Uh, there's indifference to the plight of others, and there's this pervading attitude, nothing is going to stop us. 
Have we ever seen or witnessed this attitude before? Individually? What about collectively as a nation? We have reached the summit. Things are just going to keep going up and to the right. Nothing could stop us from continuing to grow and expand and accumulate. Uh, But then here are the stage directions. Enter Amos, stage right. And here's what he begins to say. Amos 4, 1. Hear this, and I love his insults. Hear this, you cows of Bashan. How would you like to be called a cow of Bashan? Try that one out. One of your friends this week. Hey, you, you cow of Bashan on Mount Samaria. You women who oppress the poor and crush the needy and say to your husbands, bring us some drinks. Which, Adam, you know exactly what we're talking about here, right? I mean, think about these insults. You cows. You crush. You, you women who crush the needy. You boss your husband. Bring us some drinks. Now, Amos 3.15, I will tear down the winter house, and not only your winter house, but your summer house is going too. Because the wealthy in Israel at the time, not only did they have one home, but they had two. And now Amos starts saying, as of God, God is going to tear both of these houses down. The houses adorned with ivory will be destroyed. The mansions will be demolished, declares the Lord. Now, why is this destruction coming? Why are these houses being destroyed? Why are these mansions being demolished? Here's what God has to say through Amos. Amos 3.10, because the people do not know how to do right. Why is this destruction coming? Because the people do not know how to do right. This Hebrew word connotes the sense of straightness. There's a path that is straight, But then what's the opposite of straight? There is a crooked path. People don't know how to walk a straight path. They only know how to walk a crooked path. What do we say about people uh, who might be a bit evil, might be a bit shady? We say they're crooked people. This idea goes all the way back thousands of years. People do not know how to walk a straight path. In fact, all their ways, they're crooked. Uh, Here's another reason why destruction is coming. They sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. The people trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. One more reason. You levy a straw tax on the poor and impose a tax on their grain. There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Was this written today, or was this written a couple thousand years ago? Do we see this cycle repeat itself time and time again? Yes, Amos was about the northern kingdom of Israel, but there's lots in here for us in our world today. So why is this destruction coming? It's because of how people are treating each other. There is a lack of humility, justice, equality, love, and mercy in Israel. And in its place was pride, injustice, exploitation, greed, and indifference. 
we look around our world today, some of these ways of living that Amos is confronting, they're still alive and well here in 21st century America. You who lie on your couches, the finest lotions, wine by the bowlfuls, but meanwhile, there's those who are being oppressed by your lifestyle. There's those who are being forgotten. There's those who are being trampled on, those whose voices are not being heard. Let's step back for a moment. Who exactly was Amos? And this, this is really, really important for us to understand. In the first, the very first sentence of this scroll, we're told that Amos was a sheep farmer from Tekoa. Now, sometimes you think, well, sheep farmer, he must have been poor as well, and he was just angry with the system. He was angry with the man because he was at the bottom. But in fact, Amos, he was pretty well-to-do. He had some means. He had money. He's probably a lot like many of us where we find ourselves. Maybe Amos was right there in the middle class. He had everything he needed. He had resources, shelter, food. He wasn't lacking. So the question then becomes, well, what would cause him to leave that lifestyle for the life of a prophet? Because as we've been seeing, the life of a prophet, it's a hard life. Why would he leave a life of comfort for a life of hardship, of discomfort? Or maybe we could ask the question for us today, why would he leave his climate-controlled living room with his big-screen TV, Uber Eats, multiple bathrooms, and two-day Amazon Prime shipping? We've all become really comfortable with this way of living, have we not? If my package doesn't come in two days when it's promised, I, get like, I should get a refund. There's injustice in that. I ordered this two days ago. They said it would be here by Wednesday. Now they're telling me it's delayed because of weather? What's up with that? Why would Amos leave a life of comfort for a life of hardship? Well, was he bothered by the indifference that he saw? Maybe within himself, within his family, his neighbors. Was he bothered by the self-indulgent living? Life becoming all about us, ourselves, what we can get, while forgetting those at the bottom are not caring about how our lifestyle might be affecting others? Was he bothered by the widening gap between those at the top and those at the bottom? We went through COVID recently, this pandemic. And what's really interesting about this is that those at the top, they increased in wealth. You can look at those numbers and the minority of people at the top, their wealth increased drastically while many other people suffered and saw a decline in the little that they already owned. So maybe Amos was bothered because there continued to be this widening gap between those who have and those who don't have. Maybe he was bothered because he noticed that there were those living in his midst, who did not have access to all the same resources. Those who lacked power, 
those who didn't have a voice to speak up for themselves. And Amos said, I'm going to be that voice. I am going to speak for those who are not given a platform, those who have no voice to speak for themselves. The question, I think, when we talk about Amos, did the injustice that he constantly witnessed, did it break his heart? Did he come to realize that there was more going on than just simply his comfort? Was he responding to the stirrings of the spirit within him where God was revealing to him, there's more happening here. You become very, very focused on your life and it's really easy to do. We look at what others have and we think, whew, if only I, I could get to where they are. We, we compare ourselves all the time, but normally we compare ourselves up. We look at those who have a little bit more than us and we think, if I can just climb the ladder one more rung, if I can get up there, then life will be good. Maybe Amos was tired of living this way, of comparing himself to those who are a little above him. And, and instead of looking upward, maybe Amos started looking down a little bit and realized, ooh, my life, it's actually, it's actually pretty good. And there's those within this community, within this country, they, they, they don't have half as much as what I have. And, and so Amos decided to get off the couch and to now begin to speak to those in power, to his contemporaries, about this way of living that had been established in Israel. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. Oftentimes we read the Bible, but we forget that the Bible wasn't written by those who are in power. The Bible was actually written by those at the bottom, those who needed some hope, those who were being oppressed. We read a book like Amos, we might cheer and say, Phew, man, Amos is really, he's given it to them. But here's the truth. Amos is speaking to us. This challenges me. It's very easy to keep the Bible at arm's distance. We can memorize verses, have catchy slogans and phrases. But when we enter into what's actually happening, we realize Amos is speaking to me. And this, this deeply challenges me. This bothers me. This is why I don't necessarily like to read the prophets because it confronts how I'm living my life. It's speaking out about our involvement in the injustice of the world. And the truth is, and it's a tension I hold within me, we're all complicit in this injustice. Whether we realize it or not, the ways in which we live creates injustice, expands the injustice, and this happens right underneath the surface. And we don't like to be confronted with that because we're very comfortable in how we live. We're very comfortable in the purchases that we make, in the ways in which we choose to structure and organize our life. And so for me, whenever I read these prophets, I'm deeply, deeply challenged. And sometimes I don't really know what to do with a book like Amos because I think about diamonds. And Leonardo DiCaprio showed us the unethical side of the diamond trade in his movie Blood Diamond 2006. And I remember when I 
learned about diamonds, it was, well, well, should I buy Steph a, a, a diamond when we get engaged? I mean, everyone does it. You're kind of supposed to do it, and she'd probably be really mad at me if I didn't. But then you think about how, how are, is it that diamonds are sourced, and who gets hurt along the way? How much life is lost due to the diamond trade? Or what about this one? Clothing. We try to get things as cheaply as we possibly can. Well, that's too expensive. I don't want to pay for that. I mean, even some of our designer goods. Do we know who makes our clothes? Yeah, where are the clothes that we have on right now? Where do they come from? Who's making them? Are there fair wages for those who are making our clothes? Are children making our clothes somewhere else in some factory buried in the dark without lights? I mean, I read a book like Amos, and I think about all this stuff, and I'm like, oh, man, the ways in which I live, wow, I'm complicit in this system. I'm continuing to keep this system going. What about this one? Chocolate. I mean, this is the big one. We all like our chocolate. The ethics of how we source our chocolate, if we really look into it, I mean, you can take a deep, deep dive into all of it, and you realize there's quite a bit of injustice. And every time we swipe our credit card, every time we purchase something, well, there's a long history of where the thing that we're purchasing comes from. And it's not always all good. I came across this one recently. Cobalt mining. This is a cobalt mine in the Congo. This is how people live in order to make maybe a dollar a day. Maybe a dollar a day. Do you know why we need cobalt? We need our rechargeable batteries for our phones, cars, the cobalt trade, massive, massive devastation and destruction to the land and the people of the Congo. So you, I read a book like Amos, and I'm like, oh, he's, he's speaking to me. I'm the one lying on that couch. I'm the one in my, I don't have any ivory in my house, I don't think, but the one in my ivory mansion. Wow, and he's, he's calling me out. He's calling me out. I understand this gets really, really heavy, and the more you look into it, you can go two ways. You can become really, really overwhelmed by all of it, and you can fall into existential despair. Or you can become really, really cynical about the whole thing, and you can say, well, whatever. My actions will not change anything. And so instead of thinking about it or trying to make a change, uh, we revert to this. We numb our conscience. Oh, look, there's another streaming service that's coming on. I guess I'll have to subscribe to that one as well. It's only my 11th streaming service. Uh, Or we go here. We doom scroll to take our attention away from the plight of those around the world. And I've been thinking about this for many, many years, and I remember when I first came across this idea, I was 
deeply, deeply bothered by it, and I really had no idea what to do. Well, do I change everything? Do I sell everything and live in a tent in my backyard? What can I possibly, how, how can I confront all of this? It was like the weight of injustice was right there on my shoulders. I, I couldn't even walk because there was so much heaviness. Well, what could I possibly do? And so the question for us here this morning, the question that Amos raises is, well, how do we respond? Without falling into despair, without becoming cynical, how do we respond to what Amos is saying to us today? And here's some wisdom that I have learned over the past six or seven years, what has tremendously helped me when we come across a book like Amos. You have to find your cause. How will you combat injustice in your life? Here's the truth. You cannot care about every single injustice. You can't carry the weight of all of it. You can make particular choices, but the wisdom for me, that which has tremendously helped me is what's the one form of injustice that you can devote yourself to helping bring about a difference? We all know who this is. What was his cause? What was he fighting against? Against racism. In his famous I Have a Dream speech, guess who he quotes? That sheep farmer from Tekoa. Amos 5.24, let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Now I get it. MLK is a bigger-than-life figure. So you look at him, you're like, well, that's great for him, but I'm no MLK. Here's one of my friends, Wayne Francis. Uh, he's a pastor actually in Mamaroneck. And we're actually supposed to get together tonight. He wrote a book about two years ago called God and Race. Great, great book. He wrote it with one of his friends who you can see is a different color than him. He's a white pastor. And the two of them, they got together. They wrote a book because together they want to combat racism specifically in the church. It's an injustice. They both think it's wrong. And they both think that something should be done about it. So they got together and they wrote a book. And it's helping bring healing and reconciliation. For them, that's their cause. Fighting racism, specifically in the church. Wayne, he's a normal guy like you and me. That's his cause. How do we respond to Amos? What's the thing that really makes your blood boil? Or if you were to change one thing about the world, maybe it's clothing, and you say, you know what, if, if I could change this, if I could bring awareness to this. I mentioned cobalt mining. There was a book that came out, Cobalt Red, by an investigative journalist. He was deeply bothered by the cobalt trade. So he went deep, deep into it, and then he wrote a book about it. And it's raising all sorts of awareness about how we get our rechargeable batteries and the companies that we buy them from. He's holding them accountable because that's his cause. What's the one form of injustice that can become your cause, the thing that you can fight for? Uh, here's another organization here 
right here in Westchester. The Sharing Shelf, many of you have partnered with the Sharing Shelf before. People go, they donate new clothes or gently used clothes, they get sorted, and then people who don't have access or who don't have the resources to go and buy clothes, they go and they're able to get clothes for free. Deborah started this. She says uh, it was started because of clothing insecurity. She didn't want kids going to school in ratty old clothes while all their friends were wearing these nice new clothes. So she wanted to find a way for those who didn't have the resources to be able to go and pick out brand new clothes so they wouldn't feel insecure about themselves when they walk through school. Where did this one start? In her house. She's a normal person like you and me. She said, there's something wrong about what's going on right here in Westchester. There's a widening gap between those who have and those who don't have. There's those who walk around with really nice clothes and those who are embarrassed about what they're wearing. There was something wrong about it, and so she decided to do something. That was the injustice that she was trying to do something about. They now own a warehouse, and people can go. They can volunteer. I just got an email recently. They now go around Westchester, and they will pick clothes up at your house because they want to continue expanding their mission and making sure that every single person in Westchester has access to new or gently used clothes. Now, here's another one. Ah, there's our friend, Tony Hillary. Many of us, again, we have volunteered at Harlem Grown. Trespassers will be composted, yes, yeah, so uh, if you want to be six feet under early, a little earlier, trespass in there. Food injustice. I've heard Tony tell the story multiple times. And how did this start for him? One step. Like Amos, he got off the couch. I mean, he literally got off the couch. And he went to a school and just started volunteering his time. And then after one step, there was another step, and then another. And now, I mean, how many locations does Harlem Grown have now? 14 different locations, fighting food injustice, raising kids to be men and women, mentors coming aside kids who might not have parents who have that ability in their lives. It was an injustice. He saw that there was something wrong. There were those at the bottom and just by one simple step, he started doing something about it. That's how it begins. That's how it begins. One step. Is there a small step that you can take this morning, this week? Is, is there something in your heart that's deeply, deeply bothering you about the world? And you can't take it all on. You're not a superhero. But is there one area of injustice that you can bring some healing and reconciliation to? Here's another one of our friends. Adrian, not here with us this morning, her and her children started linking handlebars. Again, another organization that we partner with. We'll be going to the farm. We'll be working with linking handlebars again this year. Adrian and her kids realize, well, there's a lot of kids around Westchester who don't have the resources to go and buy a bike. So what they do is they collect used bicycles. They clean them up. They have bike mechanics that come and fix these bikes up. And then they have these huge donation parties where kids around Westchester who can't afford to buy a bike will come and they will be able to just take home with them a refurbished and restored 
bicycle. It's an area of injustice that Adrian and her family said, we want to do something about. So how do we respond to a book like Amos? How do we not get overwhelmed? How do we not become cynical about the state of the world? You find your one cause. Is there an organization that you can volunteer with? Is there one step that you can take to combat the injustice that exists in our world so that, like Martin Luther King, you can say, let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a never-failing stream?